It's Sunday, March 1st, and you are listening to Peanuts and Popcorn. P&P is a spontaneous podcast between two old friends on baseball and motion pictures. I'm Tom Hockney. And I'm Leo Fontana. This week, the two P's in the podcast will search for baseball's moral compass while the Houston Astros are still stealing signs. Madison Bumgardner has an unusual side gig. The New York Yankees lose Luis Severino for the year. The Mets have a new manager, and at least one of us will be rooting for them. We'll congratulate umpire Kerwin Danley as he's named the first African-American crew chief in 2020. We'll talk to the Chicago Cubs, and the, we'll talk about the Chicago Cubs, the Chicago White Sox, and warming up in the bullpen is our classic movie discussion on the movie 12 Years a Slave. How are you doing, Tom? I tell you, I'm so happy I have to sit on my hands to keep from clapping. <laughs> Okay. So did you see, by the way, um, I want to begin. Uh, did you see the funerals for Kobe Bryant over at the, the Staples Center in L.A. or whatever they play? And uh, Michael Jordan delivered, I guess, one of the eulogies. And did you see this? How emotional? <clears throat> I saw got? snippets of it. Um, they're actually Jordan actually began the speech with a hilarious thing about him that, that you know, there's a famous meme out there of him crying. Yes. That's all over Twitter, yes. and he was, you know, Jordan is he's one of these, these these criers. He's a he's he's a crier, as the yeah. Seinfeld show would say, and uh, so he made a, a kind of a hilarious reference, like here here comes another meme. Yeah, there's gonna uh, be as he was bawling his eyes out. Yeah, right, right. No, and 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 he was. I'll tell you something, and the reason why I bring this up is he was as human and as relatable as I've ever seen him throughout his entire career. When he was with the Bulls, it was always like he was so so much higher above all of us. Yeah. And and for the first time, I I don't know, I felt kind of connected to him. He was crying his eyes out about losing his little brother. And right. and you know he talked about what I loved is uh, this was after he'd retired, but Kobe's with the Lakers, uh, Phil's with the Lakers. Phil asked him to come out to L.A. and he walks in and he mentions this in the in the in the eulogy and he says, as soon as Kobe sees me. And I'm retired for basketball, mind you. He says, you brought your shoes. You know, <laughs> like he's expecting Michael to get out there and play with him and compete with him. And it's because Kobe still wanted to beat him. You know, right. and right. I just uh, you had to really admire that. You know? Speaking of two peas in the pod, they, they definitely were were yeah. that. Um, I thought it was interesting, as it is every time you see Michael Jordan you know, we we had the fortune, you and I, of seeing him play his professional basketball career. I saw him play in person a few times, saw him on TV. Like you said, you watch more games than you didn't watch when Jordan played because I think we both knew that it was a Babe Ruthian situation where it was a once, not a once in a generation, a once in a lifetime kind of player. But there was this other side of Michael Jordan off the court that was at times prickly. Um, he had kind of a rough reputation. I, I would hear things. He could be a dick. I heard grumblings um, back in the mid '90s of uh, you know how he treated some women that he had, had you know had casual affairs with. He just he he was kind of a, a complicated guy ultimately. But what you know we all had him on a pedestal at least in Chicago because he was. Is he possibly the greatest basketball player that ever lived? Um, if if not, he's certainly in the top three. And and Anybody the fact is, he was ours. He was ours. He was ours. Anybody who thinks that LeBron is better than Michael is out of their minds. 
That's well, right. LeBron doesn't think that. I yeah. mean, uh, and I, I certainly don't think that, but I think LeBron is a, is one of those once-in-a-lifetime players. But he's, well, but LeBron is by far the greatest player of his generation. Yeah, and, but he doesn't have six titles. That's no, that's the thing that, you know, that, yeah. that Bill Russell used to say. Hey, you know, when you get 10 championships, get back to me. You know? <laughs> so I, I hope uh, our listener was able to see our promo, and this is our effort to draw more listeners. Uh, and we decided to do this promo because we didn't have enough money in our accounts to hire Rod Blagojevich for $100 to come in and do the promo for us. But we're working on that. We're going to save our money, and maybe this is something we'll do in the not-too-distant future if the price doesn't go up. Well, here's the thing. You don't know this, but I actually secretly reached out to Rod to get him to do. Are you kidding me? Yeah. He actually tried to sell our our deal to somebody else. And so I recorded it, of course. Um, But uh, anyways, (laughs) no, I'm I'm kidding. He tried to sell our deal to someone else? He tried to sell our Senate seat. That's correct. (laughs) That is so funny. Oh, God. All right. So now uh, and, and the other thing we want to talk about before we get to baseball is the coronavirus and how it's affecting the stock market. Yeah, um, I have a couple of things to say about this, but why don't you begin? Well, I just, well, you know, if you're going to get the coronavirus, make sure you order it with Lyme disease. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was in Costco the other day and uh, I had never seen Costco as crowded and as jam-packed as it was, and people were saying it was because of the coronavirus. Because that morning, on the the the, the Saturday morning, sh- you know, talk shows, people were saying, you know, stock up on certain supplies, make sure you have this. You may have to stay in your homes for a few days or whatever. And uh, it was crazy. I've never ever seen it that crowded. So. You know, it's, it's interesting. We have a mutual friend, Jim Brayback, who's a retired yes. air traffic controller that lives in Michigan now. He has built almost a bunker underneath his house that has two years of living supplies in it. This is over there on, on Ridge? Yeah. No way. Yeah, and, and and I always give him shit about it because it's like, come on, that's 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 a little odd, Jim. I'm like, Jim, how many bags of rice do you have? You know, Jim, just you'll as a never joke. last that long. Yeah. You'll well, no, no, that. actually, all of his stuff, it's it's everything is legitimate. This guy is an ex-marine; he knows what he's doing. But I always bust his chops because it's like, you know, that's a little, you know, idiosyncrat. Uh, you know, it's a little little odd, Jim, that you have, and he's constantly looking for things to fortify himself. Like he's got generators. Like he said, I can watch TV for six months, you know, with power and all this kind of stuff. I'm like, but what you're talking about at Costco, people start thinking like that. You they know, do. About, they get this bunker but, mentality. But, they but what they don't realize is that you're now in an open market with a bunch of other people and somebody might have it. And, and so it's just kind of ironic. The whole there was thing another is, case in Chicago. There was a third yeah, case in Chicago. Right, right. So, it, it, the right. whole thing is scary, but but I, it, I'm, the, I haven't seen the stock market do that since 2008. I mean, hey, the guy I played pool with on Friday, he's a trader, and he was telling me that all the economic problems that the stock market's having as a result and all of our 401ks are going up in smoke. He said that um, these were due, this is the coronavirus just started. Um, it just started a chain reaction to inefficiencies that were already there. Right, the, right. The, this kind of market was inevitable. The coronavirus was what began it, you know? Right. So, well, we can blame it on the Houston asterisks. Yeah. We'll blame it on the Houston asterisks. That's another thing we can hang on them. And, and, you know, We've been asked, 
I've been asked, you've been asked certainly, you know, where's the moral compass of Major League Baseball in the wake of the Houston Astros sign-stealing scandal? Where is it? Where's the indignation? Where's the punishment for the people responsible who did something that everybody knows was wrong? And um, I'm saying, yeah, I, I agree that people are looking for this, and this is going to turn a lot of people off to the sport. Not not me, but and I, I don't think you either, but there's a lot of people who are going to turn their backs for a little while. Well, nothing in baseball will ever turn me off to the game of baseball because what happens between the white lines is a pure thing to me. And even when people cheat, it's still a pure thing to me. I just think, like we talked about for the last month, this thing has taken on a life of its own, and it appears to be kind of like the coronavirus getting yeah. worse. It's, yeah. It appears as though it is spreading to um, many different um, aspects of the game. Um, and I just think that, you know, you, you hit on something last week that's true. The, the, this, this fake indignation is yeah. almost, it's almost nauseating that, you know, at, at some point. Enough is enough. Well, it's just you guys stood by and watched a lot of this stuff happen. Don't act like you're all, you know, up up in arms. You know, at least somebody like a big poppy or uh, uh, Jessica Mendoza, you know, at least they're saying what a lot of players are thinking, which is, you know, basically, so what? Shut up. You know, um, but see, Clark, that, that, yeah, yeah. and I know it drives us crazy, but I'd rather have somebody that was at least honest than have someone go, oh, my God, I can't. Are you kidding? Oh, they were. Oh, that's terrible. That's bullshit is what that they is. They deserve a beat. I mean, it, 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 it's getting to be a little too much. I mean, the problem is and I look at it like uh, and I was talking to people about this last night at a party and this guy was going on and on. He was making connections to Pete Rose and Shoeless Joe Jackson. I'm like, dude, none of this has anything to do with that, okay? Right. And and I and I, I described the situation to him as, as, as if I were a teacher, or I am a teacher, and if I gave a student a test, but I didn't give him or I didn't teach him the unit right. that he needs to take the test, right. how can I expect him to do the test the right way? Major League Baseball gave the technology to these players, to these teams, okay? They did not come with specific instructions as to how they were going to be used. And as a result, they bear some responsibility for this, okay? They didn't do it per se, but they gave them the means, so they have to accept the consequences that come with this. And they can't punish themselves, so they can't punish the Astros players. That being said, all of America is going to punish the Houston Astros every day until they win the World Series again by legitimate means. They'll never be able to hang that banner in, in that ballpark that says Houston Astros world champion 2017. I'm sorry. I, I saw I saw a great meme on Twitter last night where they had the picture of the of the Asterix celebrating their world championship, but instead of the hunk of metal as they like to call it, yeah. they were holding up a big garbage can. <laughs> and the the problem is too, I mean as far as like dumping on the Astros and bringing signs to ballparks, you know, which, which by the way, a few fans actually brought signs to a Houston Astros spring training game. And these signs said cheaters and what am I thinking and so on and so forth. And the Houston Astros front office sent a woman down there to take the signs away. So they're even, they're still stealing signs in spring training. (laughs) Well, you're right. But that pissed me off, I got to tell you. That story is from last Saturday. Yeah. And 
you know what, Houston, you you can't. This is not Nazi Germany. You cannot control the message. We control the message now. Now that this is cat, this ugly cat is out of the bag. You don't control anything anymore. Your job is to um, demurely take it and do something about it and make yourself better. And as I as we talked about four or five months ago, you guys should be on the front line of, of, of stopping this in the future and exhibiting behavior that shows that you've turned the page and you're, you're actually doing things the right way and that you're, some, you're now a franchise that other teams, other cheaters, can look, look up to. That's what your role is. Your role is not to stop. Uh, this is America. You can't stop these people from bringing in signs. You don't like the signs? Get the hell out of here. I know. Are you I kidding know. me? You know what, I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get 30 of my friends and we're all going to have like one page portions of the sign in our pocket and then you know and all get together and put it together at the at the stadium. There's ways to beat what you guys are doing, but this oh, is yeah. ridiculous if you're trying to stop it from yeah. happening. I, I have a big problem with that. They're just going to have to put up with it in the end. I mean, they may be able to control it to a certain degree at home, but if they do that, it's just going to be 10 times as worse on the road. Their fans are going to show up with every sign that they can and I'm telling you, in Yankee Stadium and oh, yeah. Oakland, they're going to let all those people in, you know. Well, the, Houston actually said last night that they want a SWAT team. And, and like tongue-in-cheek, you know, we're going to need – in Yankee Stadium, we're going to need protection there. They are going to need protection. Yeah. And you yeah. know what? They have nobody to blame but themselves. Right. This is what life is like. This is what happens when you cheat to win a World Series. And this is the kind – this is the hell, okay? And they're going to be going through it. For the rest of their lives. You know, we talked last week about this prize fight that I saw last Saturday night. And real briefly, one of yeah. the fighters entered the ring with like 45 pounds of armor on. Yeah, I saw and, that. And, he, and he said that's why he lost the fight because it took him 20 minutes to get to the ring. And he was, I saw it when he took it off. He was sweating profusely. He said, My legs were gone by the time yeah. I got to the thing. I well, I think, I think the Astros are going to have to wear armor at times. Maybe, you know what would be ironic? If they all wore garbage cans. Yeah, 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 that's right. That would be, that's a good thing. There you go. But I mean, they've been, and, and, and it's been showing that that their uh, colleagues on other teams are taking matters into their own hands. And it looks like the Astros are being hit an inordinate number of times in spring training. Right, um, right. You know, now one of these guys is that guy, German pitch, or Urbina, who gets, or not, or Urbina, who, he was the one who threw at uh, Ronald Acuna oh, yeah. uh, of, this, of the Braves. and he, He's the he one that got the worst penalty. Yeah. For hitting a player ever. Yeah. And uh, and I think he deserved it, too. But the point is, is that uh, you're going to see them take a few hit by pitches. And uh, I don't know. Te teams are going to I think pitchers are going to let these guys know that we don't appreciate what you did. It's almost like they're going to have to hire a massage therapist to work on the bruises because the fact is you're going to get bruised. And I know baseball is is monitoring this closely. So if there is excessive, but the problem is, first of all, it's always after the fact you've already been hit. And then baseball has to kind of, kind of, you know, decide which one was, Hey, the ball got away from the pitcher and what, which one was intentional. That's really hard to do. It it's is really hard, hard, to, hard to adjudicate. It, and, it really and is hard to do. As, and as much as Baker and the rest of them demand to, um, you know, demand for uh, demand protection, they're just it's it's just not going to come. You know what I mean? It's it's right. going to happen, and they're going to have to learn to live with it. Agreed. And that's you know, 
Um, my screen is frozen, so why don't you introduce the next topic, if you don't well, mind? Well, uh, Madison Baumgartner um, came out this week um, and, and basically said that in his tenure with the Giants, he was moonlighting as a team roping competitor in rodeos during the offseason under the uh, nom de plume Mason Sanders. Or Dude, Saunders. that guy's my favorite rodeo rider, man. <laughs> Mason Sanders, that guy's the shit. No, yeah, that's, that's hilarious. Uh, I think it's interesting on a couple of fronts, but one thing is, if I was the Giants, I'd be pissed off because the fact of the matter is, you cannot remember like, going back to Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan couldn't couldn't play uh, certain sports because it was written into his contract, except right. for he did try to play Major League Baseball. But it's the same with with Madison Baumgartner, who, by the way injured himself in a dirt bike accident and missed most of the season because of it, the Giants already said, hey, look, we're paying you a lot of money. Yeah, during, your do base, we're doing your baseball career, you pitch for us. You're not, you're not a dirt bike rider, and you're certainly not a rodeo clown. Well, I don't know if they knew about it. Well, they didn't. They didn't resign him, so they didn't know about it. And, and he intends to continue to do this now that he's pitching for, the, for Arizona. I mean – on the one hand, you have to admire that he is who he is, and he's going to do the things that he enjoys doing, and he's going to and to hell with the rest of the world. But, but at the same time, you know these these teams lay out a significant investment, and you just can't do stuff like that if you're a professional athlete. I'm reminded of when you know uh, a Bulls basketball guard, Jay Williams, was in a horrible yeah. Yeah. motorcycle yeah. accident, yeah. and he never played basketball again. He never this did. Somebody that they'd invested draft picks in, a high draft pick. I mean, it, it's it's and, and by the way, that kind of stuff, riding motorcycles, that's clearly in the contract. That, it's actually written in the contract. Those words, you cannot ride motorcycles. And so, you know, Madison, halfway through the interview, realized that he I think he made a big mistake talking about that, even oh, though yeah. even though on the rodeo circuit, allegedly it was an inside joke. Everyone knew who Mason Saunders was. It was no big surprise. Um, they knew that it was Baumgartner, but I think kind of like Big Poppy and Jessica Mendoza, you don't have to say everything you think. And I think this is one of those things where Madison, you probably wish you probably didn't get put that out there because it opens itself. You, you're open now to a lot of criticism. And they interviewed the GM uh, of, of Arizona and they were like, and they were like, really, that's what he said. You know, you know, that was kind of their response. It was a few, few short words, but I read between the lines. Nobody well, likes I'm sure that he can piss off more than a few front offices, you know. But, but in his first in his first start in the in the Cactus League, he he threw like three scoreless innings, so that will shut people up right away. That will shut people up. That will <laughs> shut people up. So uh, now the Yankees have lost Luis Severino to Tommy John surgery. They won't have him until next year, and this is a blow to the boys in pinstripes. Well, it's not only that. Will they ever have him again? It's it's you never know with Tommy John. You either come back better or you never come back. And so, Lewis had some issues last year. So he this did. is he got injured last had, year. He didn't pitch for them at all last year. The Yankee. Well, he pitched the first half, but the the Yankees are were um, you know are rightly you know this is just kind of like the Baumgartner thing. Like how how did this happen, Luis? How how does these injuries happen? What is it? Is it are these a, a traditional pitching injury, or is it like that one guy on Colorado a couple of years ago that fell down the stairs? Or at least that's what he said. He fell down the stairs at his house and he was out for like you know two or three months. You know, and now I hear that Giancarlo Stanton 
This yeah. guy's he's maybe one of the most injured big sluggers of all time. Supposedly was going to hit 80 home runs, according to him last week. Now he's going to be out for a few weeks. Yeah, yeah. They're they're. I mean, they'll have to see how they solve it. I mean, last year they ran away with the division when they with had the all most injured injuries to exactly. all sorts of. You know, so, I mean, can they sustain that kind of luck? I doubt it. Um, I think that this time it costs the Yankees in terms of real wins. And if I'm a if I'm a fan of the Tampa Bay Rays right, or the right. Toronto Blue Jays, I'm pretty excited. So. Yeah, or the Boston Red Sox, even though ah, they, I'm sorry. They, they, they still haven't been penalized, by the way. Here no, they still haven't been penalized. That has yet to emerge. And so far, the Houston Astros are drawing all of the sign-stealing ire. But that's going to change very, very soon. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, now, another New York team will have a new manager this year, and that's the uh, Mets, who hired Luis Rojas. And uh, this was when, after they they fired Carlos Beltran, who was implicated in the sign ceiling scandal in Houston, the only player actually named uh, in, in, the, in the scandal. And I kind of like this guy. I'm very, very happy the Mets hired him. I'm going to be really – I'm pulling for them this year. I really am because of this – this is somebody who's managed in their minor league system for years. He's managed all the players on the roster, almost all of them. And he's very yep. familiar with them. They know him. They like him. He's analytically inclined, but he also understands that these guys are human beings. You know, I, I think this could be a good thing. I'm, I'm pulling for it, but I hope they give him a chance. If they don't win right out of the gate, I want to make sure that they give this guy the chance he deserves. Yeah, you know, I thought that the great another great article in the Athletic by uh, Rosenthal, um, yes. and it, it was very illuminating to me in the fact that I don't think Rojas's um, challenges will have to do with anything that happens on the field. I think it's the Wilpons, the owners of that team, and who, that's who makes it difficult. They, they are meddlers. They are classic meddlers, and and there's a father and a son combination. The father likes to meet with the manager at every home game before the game, uh, and the son interjects himself into controversial situations. Towards the end of the article, ex-manager Mickey Calloway, who was very successful as the pitching coach for the Cleveland Indians during their great yeah. run uh, in this past decade, prior to him taking this role, um, kind of you know made some read-between-the-line comments about, you know, he thinks Rojas will do very, very well, but he thinks that, you know, because of the market that he's in, he has to, um, you know, he, he, ha he has to kind of... Um, take everything with an even keel, but the the biggest, he's, he kind of alluded to the fact that the biggest issues that Rojas will have to deal with are not on the field and they're not in the players and they're not in the clubhouse. It's, it's the, it's the management. And, and the other thing too is the Mets might be sold. And so yeah, they, gave, right. they, gave the Rojas a two, they gave him a two year contract. Um, I, when, they, when they hired him, I said this is the guy they should have hired before Beltran. Yeah. The only reason why they helped hire Beltran is because Beltran was the player, and, and they felt as though that roster needed somebody that was going to stand up to those players. Yeah. Well, Rojas, I think that will be the least of his issues. Uh, and we're going to talk about Grandpa Rossi in a second because he's in that same kind of boat in the fact that, you know, is he too friendly with his players – Rojas is going to have that issues. He's going to have to make difficult decisions, but I think the most difficult ones will have to be how he handles the Wilpons. No, you're right. And but I hope he does well. And 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 it, it begs the question. I mean, we'll talk about this another week. What's the toughest city to manage in? You know, what's the toughest managing job in baseball? Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Yeah. It's bad. It's, it, it, it's because of the fans. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right. So now Kerwin Danley, uh, P- uh, Peanuts and Popcorn, would like to personally congratulate Kerwin Danley, who is an umpire who's been named Major League Baseball's first African-American crew chief. And and as, as good a thing that this is for baseball and for, for Mr. Danley, what the hell took baseball so long? This is unbelievable. It's 2020. This is the first crew chief you can muster. That's unbelievable. Not just that. But Danley's had like one criticism of his yeah. umpiring in like 15 years, and they and the writer goes on to say you could even question that. So what I don't understand is a couple of things. The first uh, black umpire it didn't hit the major leagues till 1966. That's a that, okay. that's that's unconscionable. And there's only been 11 of them. That's unconscionable. And so. Uh, the thing about Danley is, you know, he's been an umpire for almost 20 years. It took him to, and if you think about some of these older crew chiefs, oh my God, there's some really, really bad ones out there. Um, and this guy's not one of them. This is no. just one of those um, situations that, you know, it has, it has to do with the society we live in. Not only do we wish him the best, but we need to have more African-American umpires starting out now so that. 10 years from now that, you know, there's many of them in the majors. And I personally believe, why can't women do it as well? There's nothing yeah. that says that women can't be an umpire either. Absolutely. And, and so Absolutely. Um, uh, congratulations to uh, Danley. He's going to do just fine. Yeah, he is. All right. So uh, you cited an article, five middle-class teams primed to take advantage if the playoffs expand. So uh, just a reminder that uh, it has been conceived or promoted or proposed that uh, next year maybe they might add a, a, a two more wildcard teams, one for each league. Yeah. And uh, it may actually, uh, that may help some teams in terms of getting to the playoffs. Some teams who are kind of middle of the pack, who are talented, who are good, but uh, are outdistanced by teams like the uh, New York Yankees and the Houston Astros. And the first one I think I want to bring up is the Tampa Bay Rays. Yeah. You know. And, and they're a team that very easily could win a wild card. They were in the playoffs last year as a wild card. Right. They're a good team. They have good pitching. You know, they, they, they're creative in the way that they use their resources. And I think the Yankees right now, they're the primary threat to uh, the, the American League East, you know, in terms of the Yankees' primary threat to not winning it. So. Yeah. Of these of these five teams that they list, the Rays are a slam dunk. They yeah. they've been robbed. They were robbed the year before last, when I think they either won 90 games or damn close to winning 90 games and didn't even make the playoffs. Yeah. It was re- reminiscent of what happened to the Reds in the in the late uh, 70s that got uh, that got uh, Sparky Anderson fired, where they actually had the best second half record, but because of the way um, the way that no they used that to was do it that back was then. in the strike that was in the 80s during the strike. Or was yeah. it a strike? Okay, yeah, okay. The street, yeah. that, that, what, what I'm saying, what I'm saying is, is that the Rays are worthy today. The other teams on that list, there's a little bit of a stretch that goes on with them. You know, when you're talking about the Padres, over the last few years, the Padres have been, you know, thought of as 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 been a playoff team at the beginning of every season, and they just they just tank every year. The blue the Blue Jays, which again is another American League East team, well they're that, that's the only team that looks as good as them on paper is the other team that they mentioned, which is the White Sox. Yeah. You know, the, the Blue Jays have some great young talent. It's always been a tremendous organization. 
Um, you know, it's so gonna be fun watching that team. That's yeah, be a great team to watch. And the same, same if you're a if you're a White Sox fan, you're gonna it's gonna be fun watching that team as well. The last team that they mentioned is Arizona. I'm not so sure about Arizona, only because I think that when you look at the National League West, the Dodgers could run away with that division. And if yeah. they do, it's gonna I think it'll make it difficult for a, another team in that division to to make the playoffs because you might see the Cubs or the Cardinals. Um, if, if, if everything goes as planned and say the Reds win the central, then you got to figure that the Cubs and Cardinals are going to be fighting, fighting it out for that wild card position. Um, it's good. I think it's going to be more difficult for Arizona. So of the five teams, Arizona, White Sox, um, Toronto, San Diego, and, 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 uh, Tampa, I think they have the, the, the hardest path to making that happen. The interesting teams to watch are the Blue Jays and the White Sox because yeah. those teams are so stacked. And then San Diego to a lesser degree because they're they've got a really they're good talented. offense too, but they're they're pitching. I don't know. Um, but Tampa to me it's a slam dunk. I don't know what your thoughts are. No, I think I think Tampa will definitely. I'm I'm I may pick them to win that division, and I think that they're going to be really good. But the Blue Jays are up and comers. You know they, yeah, they have so right. many. They have children of major league players playing on them. The Hall of Fame major leaguers. Playing for them. I mean, it's it's an exciting roster to to watch. So I'll be I'll be really pulling for them. All right. So now you mentioned the White Sox as being a team that may take a step forward, and they recently signed one of their young pitchers, Aaron Bummer, and he's a reliever, a setup guy. Right. Uh, they gave him a long contract, and there's also talk about Yuan Moncada getting an extension. And you know the White Sox love to tie these guys up at yep. sort of lower. You know they give them life changing money over the course right. of a six-year contract but the 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 average amount per year is is more manageable and that that's advantageous for two reasons it's easier to build a roster and it also makes them more valuable when you come to trade them you're able to get more in return and do you think that maybe the cubs should have employed that philosophy you know should they have tied guys like bryant you know would they've been able to tie these guys up for long term well, hindsight's twenty twenty, and certainly on Bryant. Um, I, I don't know because of Bryant's management team whether they would have ever went for something yeah. like this. I don't but think the, would have would have gone. But the it. fact is, we have Quintana because of the White Sox practice of signing yeah. Quintana to a to a long deal. And to me, I think he's one of the most valuable for the money players in the major leagues. He, yeah. he hardly makes any money, and he's a significant part of their uh, rotation. He makes every start. You know, right, there was right. a stretch. There was a stretch last year where they were losing pretty badly, and the only pitcher who was pitching well was him. He was you know me, I'm a huge fan of his. And reading everything about Bummer, who by the way has a has an unfortunate last name, yes, to be does. playing on the South Side well, because well, I can well, just imagine how they're going to talk to him once he has a bad uh, outing or so. But if you look at his numbers, he's he looks like the real deal. Um, and so kudos to the White Sox for being smart like that. A lot of other teams. Um, I think they, they cite the Indians as being one of those teams where they're like, hey, we've got this young player that's similar to this guy that we should lock up. Uh, I think they I, they signed uh, Bummer to like a five-year, $16 million deal, which doesn't seem like a lot of money, but it's a lot of money to an unknown. Yeah. And this guy is a complete unknown. So the problem that the Sox could face is a couple of these could blow up in their face where they have these contracts that they and have to the pay. Rich. 
but but they're not huge. They're not like some of the deals that I've seen. Like I'll keep talking about the Hayward deal till I'm blue in the face. But that just was a bad, bad deal with way too much money paid to a guy who we love, a great clubhouse guy, great defensive player, but not worth that kind of money a year. Whereas I, I with, can't I can't dispute that. I cannot yeah, dispute that. But but with Bumper. You know, you lose $16 million, that's really nothing on a five-year deal if the guy's arm goes bad, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, no, no, you're right. So, so, so speaking uh, of uh, illness. Yeah, the flu, the, and not the coronavirus, but just the regular plain old influenza has sidelined David Ross. Yeah. And he was unable to uh, he was unable to be present for his first managering, uh, you know, uh, managerial opportunities in spring training. So he missed, I think, like the first three games. <laughs> Quintana got sick. He missed a start. But this is all, I mean, it's all academic. As long as well, these guys except, get their work in. Except for one thing. This was There's a little bit something to unpack on this story. And that is, again, we're going to talk about this a lot this year. There's a reason why Rossi was brought in. Um, there, there was a reason why they wanted kind of the anti-Joe Madden. And that had a lot to do with accountability. And, and David Ross said that, it was very difficult for him. They basically, the doctors basically put him in the hospital because yeah. he was dehydrated. Ross didn't want to go no. because he felt as though it was sending the wrong message on the accountability front that you have to show up every day to play. And here he is missing the first three three games of, of the season, um, which ironically they played very well and they haven't played so well since he became uh, on the field, Skipper. We'll talk about that in a second. But I just think that I'm very encouraged by everything that I'm reading that, um, you know, that Rossi is going to bring a level of accountability to this team that they haven't had in a while, and it's much needed. And and the players are embracing it. Um, well, I mean, those are all very nice things to hear. Yeah. But I am at an age where I refuse. I'm really, really just refusing to get excited about anything that I hear happens in spring training. I mean, it's right. interesting to talk about, but I'm not going to apply. I'm not going to apply anything that I hear in spring training to anything that I predict will happen in the regular season. It's just, you know, it well, is what it is. Spring is when you're hopeful. Yeah. And pretty, pretty soon I'm going to get to read that Ernie Harwell poem, The Voice of the Turtle. That will, that'll happen when the season actually starts. But everything is optimism at this point, because quite honestly, you have nothing else. Even in Detroit, even in Baltimore, they talk about this could be their year, even though you know darn well it's not. It's, it's the, kind of the same. It's, it's the same with the Cubs. This is this is not a world championship team, in my opinion. They could become one, but they are not one now. Today, all you all you have, Leo, is hope. I know it's a very dangerous thing, but that's all you have. <laughs> Hope is a dangerous thing, my friend. No, you're, and, and it is a dangerous thing to a certain extent. And that's why, I mean, I've hoped in the past, you know, I've seen things and heard things that this guy's having a good year and he's do, he's made changes to his swing and he's going to be so much better. And then he goes out and hits 225. You know what I mean? I just yeah, can't, yeah. I can't, uh, I can't do that anymore. I can't go through that anymore. I'm just going to just dismiss everything I hear. You know. Well, all I can tell you is this whole accountability thing must be something because they all sure are talking about it a lot. They never talked about this last last spring under Madden at all. No, they never. It did. was all and, about it was all about the Joe Madden University. 
and the campus and the, you know. And if you'll permit me to kind of jump ahead on topics, you know, the Cubs themselves, the Cubs player, independent of anything that Ross told them to do, have instituted a series of uh, penalties or fines and bonuses yeah. for, uh, for you know, the, the fines will be for bad or boneheaded plays and the bonuses for good play. And uh, I think this is a good uh, thing for the Cubs. These kangaroo courts are often uniting or unifying within a club. And I would imagine some of the veterans who make a lot of money will provide an initial outlay. And uh, some of these guys can earn some bonuses as the season goes on. Often earning the skin is the thing that's uh, that's so motivating, not necessarily the dollar amount. But I think it's kind of cool. Well, I'm a huge, you know, spending my career in sales, I'm a huge fan that, you know, people are motivated really by two things, fear and money. And so Jason Kipnis came out and said, you know, we did this in Cleveland to huge success. And and he's like, even though it's only $100, which is hilarious because back in the Sparky Anderson day, it used to be a dollar. used to be a dollar. Or $10. And now it's a hundred. The economics of baseball has changed. Yeah, yeah, it's changed. changed. Yeah. So if you don't run out of ground ball, it's going to cost you a hundo. Um, but if you make a great play, you might earn a hundo from that from that uh, uh, bank that they're going to keep. I think it's a fantastic idea. Look, if it makes – we'll talk about in a second where I think the Cubs' issues still remain. Um, I don't know how you're going to find find people for what where the two big issues are on the Cubs – uh, team, which to me is lack of offense and lack of timely relief pitching. Um, but if they if they have a way that they can squeeze out two or three more wins just by having this system in place, I'm all for it. So now there are two relievers I want to mention. And uh, the first one is uh, Brad Wick, yeah. who is coming back from a heart procedure. And right. he's apparently been doing very well. I've been reading good things about him in spring training. There's yeah. a lot of pitchers to look at. And all these bullpen guys – Everything they do will be just under the microscope. But he's pitched well and has a chance. Yeah, he has. He's first of all, he's six foot nine, and apparently, guys that are that tall have this kind of. This is a known heart issue. Yes, right. Um, but there is a He's already gone through the procedure, so hopefully, he's not out too long. Because quite honestly, late last summer, he pitched really well a couple of times. You know, you know, there's there's two wicks on the team. Yes. And one, and one burns brightly. Yeah, one does burn brightly. That's a good line. So the second reliever I want to mention is Trevor McGill, yeah. who's a guy that the Cubs picked up in the Rule 5 draft. And this is the first player that they've gotten in the Rule 5 draft in a few years. Right. And so the thing with the Rule 5 draftees is they have to keep them on the roster for the entire year. Otherwise, they have to trade them back or sell them back for $500,000 or something to the team that they took them from. Right. And uh, they're getting some, you know, again, this is a big guy with a big fastball, something that's touched like 97, 98 this spring. He's got a good off-speed pitch that he sort of developed a curveball before it was more of a slider. And now their pitch lab has got him throwing a curveball. So he might be somebody who's effective. And I, I think I admire this strategy of compiling arms that Theo has done. It could be a good way to kind of tinker together a good bullpen. Well, you, as you know, we've talked about, they, they picked up 10 of them, you know, one or two of them are going to be good. So yeah. that, that whether it's going to be this McGill guy, I have no idea what I've read about him. I like a lot and reading between the lines in this uh, athletic article, the Cubs aren't giving this guy back. So he's staying yeah. on the roster and you talk about the pitching lab. Um, it, it's interesting that, 
he's had kind of some mixed results this year, which are to be expected. You can't really judge any pitchers on spring training when they're, you know, they're in week two. They're just now starting to pitch two and three innings. Last week was one inning for everybody except Madison Baumgartner. Um, and so McGill in his first outing got roughed up, not by hitters, but by the fact that he threw some wild pitches because he was relying too much on the pitching lab. And then in his next outing, he went back to his traditional fastball curveball stuff to, to very good results. All of this is good. Experiment with all this stuff. This is the time to do it. But read, reading between the lines, I think that McGill might be staying with the team because he has got such great potential that they might have to take. Remember, there's an extra roster spot this year. That's and right. There's a 26 so, roster spot. So they could easily afford it on him as long as he pitches well. If he doesn't, then, you know, he'll get cut yeah. like everybody else. Right. No, but he's going to get a chance. And I don't want to, you know, project anything on the regular season that I see in the spring. Yeah. Make sure I don't do that anymore. So and then a third reliever we should also mention is Brandon Morrow, who signed yeah. this year for only a million dollars after the Cubs had paid him, what, 10, 11, 12 million right. a year for two years and got nothing out of it. Nothing. So it was, I think, good of Morrow to sign for such a low amount and see if he can maybe give some production back for a lower amount of money. But now he's had a strain in his shoulder or his, his, um, his chest. And he'll be out at least until May, I heard. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I'm starting to get really discouraged about this guy because you know what, Brandon, you need to get on the field and pitch and enough with these rinky dink injuries. It's just, it's annoying. I mean, and like you said, we paid way too much money to this guy uh, and got nothing, yeah. got nothing out. So, um, well, you know, the Athletic does a really good article. This is my favorite article of the week about when you are managing your friends. And so it's really about, you know, they kind of it's almost like they've been following David Ross um, since the beginning of him taking over this role, actually even going back to last year. And they talk about um, how he, you know, basically started out. You know, Brizzo Incorporated, which is the uh, yeah, he was an intern. In he was an ads. intern. He was a yeah. he was a go for go get coffee guy yeah. for for Brizzo Incorporated, which is uh, for our listener out there. That's for uh, Bryant and uh, and uh, Rizzo, uh, their little uh, commercial um, endeavor. Which now uh, apparently they sell a boatload of T-shirts with the name on there, um, but. This article was really illuminating to me as well uh, it, because Ross is, is supposed to do very, very well on many fronts. They anticipate – he said the one thing that Ross does, just like Rose, uh, that uh, uh, Luis Ro- Rojas did, is yeah. that when you're at a press conference, a great manager will actually talk about both sides of, this, of, of an argument. That way they don't have to deal with it from, you know – from the from the writers so much and so Ross is extremely adept because he has so much experience just like Madden was Madden Madden was a was a stud as far as dealing with the media but one of the ways that you're successful is that you really kind of talk about both sides of the argument you don't really take one position you take you you deliver both sides of of the position I think Ross is going to do very well where I think he potentially could struggle as they referenced Joe Torre in the argument or in the yeah. article. Oh, that one, how about that story? Go ahead. Yeah, they talk about managers that be, that were recent players that became managers. There's been five of them. I won't cite all of them, but Torre is the most famous. 
None of them were all all that successful. That was the part when I looked at those managers, I was like, oh boy, that's not that's not good. But Tori gave Ross some really great advice about how to deal with players that are your friends. And Ross is going to have an issue to me with the entire team as far as, you know, not just when to start players, when to sit players, when to cut players, but and when to relieve them and when to pinch hit for them. The biggest issue is his buddy, John Lester, who Lester is struggling mightily. That it doesn't mean anything. I've said it and I'll say it again. I wouldn't be surprised if he was retired mid year because I think his arm is done. Hopefully I'm wrong. But if I'm not wrong, it will be interesting to see the Ross Lester dynamic as it plays out because it will play out. He's going to have to pull him. He's going to have to pull him in the fourth inning. You know what I mean? And he's not going to want to come out. And, you know, we talked about, you talked about Tory. There was that story in in that article about how Tory was managing the Yankees in the world series. Denny Nagel had started the game and he there. It's the, it's the, what is the fifth inning? And there's, Less than two outs. He was one out away from he was a one out away from his only World Series win. Yeah, one out away from his only World Series win, and Torrey takes him out before he could qualify for the win and pitch the requisite five innings. And and Nagel never talked to him again. You know, I mean, and that's what Ross is facing. That's what he faces. Yeah, that, it kind of it kind of reminded me about Walter Payton not getting that Super Bowl touchdown. Uh, yeah, you know, it's it, it, uh, that that's the tough part of the job. That's the, like Ross is going to have to sit down with somebody that he probably drank with and say, "You're no longer with the team. We're cutting yeah, you." And and cutting. and and by the way, Tory goes out of ways to say he still is not comfortable to having those conversations. Yeah. Who who is? So now show the me. problem though. Cutting players isn't so much Ross's problem as Epstein's problem. You know, he can absolve himself there. The problems come in moments like that, though, in in-game decisions that affect the career evaluation of a player. You know? Yeah, but the manager delivers the first message. You're right. The GM does make the call, but the manager has to sit but, down. But it's the manager who has up. to do it. But he's at least he, but he's like, I'm being told to do this. <laughs> right. right. Whereas, the nobody's mess- telling me to take your ass out of the game. Right. You know what I mean? So now- I, I that's going to be a challenge for us um, because um, it's just in the world we live in, we know everything. Not, you know, the one thing that I, uh, uh, I don't know whether you notice, but if you if you have the Major League Baseball package on your uh, your direct TV or whatever, all of the minor or all of the uh, spring training games are now televised. Yeah. In the old days, you never, you, you, there was no radio for, for half of the spring training games. Now you're under a microscope from the get-go. Here we are in week two. I've already seen three baseball games. Yeah. And I, I can't watch too much spring training. I, I can't. I know. I know. I, I, I can watch a little. And you know what I like is I like listening to it on the radio. Right. And I fear, I fear I'll be doing a whole lot of that if the Marquee Network deal doesn't get done. And, and, and I'm glad that we've gotten to the Marquee Network because you actually watched your first Cubs game on the Marquee Network. I did. I have been unable to do that. I need to hear what uh, that was like. Well, it was it, it was very interesting, and I was pleasantly surprised because the booth is the same. 
Um, you know, the announcing booth is the same and those guys are great. Uh, so that, that was a really good, um, transition. Like it's pretty seamless from that standpoint. Um, the interesting thing is the marquee network ran the same commercial the entire day. So, <laughs> and, and basically what it was, was five or six snippets of the 2019 season of, you know, how, uh, really great moments, which by the way, the asterisks were included in one of them when they clinched yeah. the, uh, their uh, tainted division. Um, but where I'm encouraged is that they pr they're promoting games next week where they're Cubs greatest games, kind of a classic. Remember that channel ESPN classic where they, yeah, have, right. So we're going to be able to watch classic Cubs games, which people either loved or hated. Some people would say, don't ever look back. I, I'm a nostalgic guy. Sometimes I like to look back. And so there are certain Cub games, particularly after 2015, I wouldn't mind watching again. That's how much of a geek that I am. But the point is, at one point uh, in the game, um, they had uh, Anzale pitching. Anzale, yeah. yeah. And, and all I can say is, we're so sorry, Uncle Adbert. He couldn't <laughs> find the plate all day. And so uh, it, it was. It was. Uh, it was pretty rough because um, yeah. we know he's fighting his ass off for that last position in the roster. And man, oh man, he. I know it's spring training. It doesn't mean anything, but he. They, they, they crushed him. It wasn't him not finding the plate, but one of the uh, one of the hitters uh, just absolutely knocked one out of the park uh, off of him. So. Um, you know, Maybe he's not ready, Tom. Maybe. I, I'm going to say that, like, kind of piggyback what you were talking about last week. He's probably going to be in the, the minors to start the season. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So now let let us begin our discussion. We move from the peanuts to the popcorn. <laughs> and, uh, and I want to talk about how we selected our movie this week. And Tom maintains a list of the hundred greatest films that he has no, ever seen. No, it's a, th it's a thousand, actually. It's thousand? A thousand. You, your list is a thousand? Almost a thousand. It's, it's less than a thousand, but almost, yeah. All right, all right. So we're near, nearly near a thousand. The, the, the criteria is the films have to be watched on the big screen. Mm -hmm. If I used all the films I saw prior to 2000 on the, on the tiny screen, as I would call it, it would be three. I'm a huge movie fan. I, there'd be there'd be 3,500 films on there because I, I saw a tremendous amount of old black and white films that I have not seen on the big screen. Right, but right. So the criteria is this, is this is either in my old theater in my basement or on some type of now modern big screen. So that anyways. Well, what we did was you said we were trying to figure out which movie to select. And uh, I said, why don't we take a movie from your list? Yeah. And uh, we, and he picked a number. Jackie Robinson's number, I might add, That's number correct. 42. 42. <laughs> and the movie that sat at number 42 is 12 Years a Slave, uh, directed by Steve McQueen, not, of course, the actor Steve McQueen, but this is Steve McQueen, a British director of some reputation, um, starring uh, Chiwete, um, I'm, it's driving me crazy, it's Chiwete Ejiofor. Chiwete Ejiofor is the lead. Yep. And he's a man who's kidnapped from his family living in a free northern state. He's a black man who has his freedom. He's kidnapped and sold into manual labor in Louisiana. And for 12 years, he is suffers in slavery in Louisiana. Right. And it is a powerful story, man. Well, it's, it's actually a true story. It is a true story. Uh, of, That's of, right. uh, of uh, Solomon um, is the guy. Solomon, the, the, Thomas. Solomon, Solomon Northrup. 
North the character, character's name, who, uh, um, and so, yeah, it was the interesting thing for me, just so when we talk about films from the 20th century, it is, it is of the, uh, well, the 21st know, century of the 21st century. I'm, t- I'm sorry. Yeah. The, um, all of all of the best pictures of this century, it's number one on my list. Of, really? Of, of, best of all the best, wow. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's not my favorite film of this century because Amelie is my favorite film that was made in this century. But 12 Years a Slave is right up there. I only have like uh, Hugo, Finding Neverland, and Pan's Labyrinth are, are the only films that I thought were better than 12 Years a Slave of all the films that have been produced in this century. I think it's a tremendous work. Um, and uh, it, it, it was a true collaboration. I think it's kind of ironic that a lot of white guys, including Brad Pitt, produced it. That's how Brad Pitt got his first Oscar. It was yeah. as a producer, even though he's actually in the film for like two seconds. Um, it's just it, 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 this, this movie will will crush you in many different ways of just what this guy uh, had to go through. What, what slaves had yeah. to go through. That's what yeah. slaves had to go through. What the winner of the best supporting actress, Lupito Young, by the way, the N and G are silent, as I learned while I was researching this film. She won the best supporting actress whose her, her story alone they could make a film at. She was born in Mexico to Kenyan parents, and she can you know, she's she's a Yale graduate, speaks like five languages, including Spanish. Um, but she just was unforgettable in her role. Um, and, and it made you kind of feel as though um, this it, it just kind of humanized that that story for me um, of just like we said, what they had to go th- go through and just how screwed up the situation was. You know, I thought it, it was interesting that Paul Giamatti plays this yeah. really bad slave trader in the film. He also played John Adams who's the only founding father in the history of the United States that didn't own a slave. That didn't was, own slaves, yeah. And, yeah, so it's it's just, it, it, this is a tremendous movie. If you haven't seen it, you should rush out and see it. it and it's actually playing on cable right now. You can, you can the, see it. The, the scene that sticks with you, that really sticks with you, is the one with the actress Nupita Yongo. And uh, when she's raped by Michael Fassbender, her yeah. slave master. And that is one of just, I mean... The, the absence of life in her face. Right. And she's being right. raped by this because there's nothing she can do. And she's giving him no recognition of anything. Nothing. Okay. Just right. she, that she's completely dead inside, that you've killed every bit of just light and life by doing this to her. And it is just a hard, hard scene to watch there's it no is. doubt and, and and kudos to fassbender who yeah. really got into his character it's so much so that when they were applying makeup to his mustache because he was an alcoholic he insisted that they put um booze on his mustache so that the other actors would smell the fact that he was an alcoholic wow and, yeah so um, no so the character was the character al- yeah the character was an alcoholic to- and so that they they uh you know, Fassbender really got into his role, as did Paul Dano, who yeah. plays just a despicable, overseer, you know, bull, yeah. a bullwhip, uh, yeah, an overseer on the, on the plantation. Um, it's just, it's, it's a, it's the thing about it is that it's redemption and soul crushing at the same time. Yeah, I mean, it's just, and, it, yeah, yeah. And, and I thought that McQueen did a phenomenal job. He was nominated for best director, 
Um, but he, the film was nominated for uh, nine uh, Oscars and won three of them. Um, best Picture and I think Adapted Screenplay and then Lapito won Best Supporting Actress. But they could have given out a lot more um, Oscars uh, because that movie, it just is a, it, it, if you go back and look at some of the other films that, um, you know, in my opinion, were n not nearly as strong, Argo comes to mind, yeah. that were Best Pictures. Um you know, uh, Lord of the Rings, uh, Return of the King. Uh, there's no way that that's better than 12 Years a Slave or your Million Dollar Baby. It's really right up there. I, I just don't think it gets its just due. And I would venture to say that years from now, they'll be teaching it in film class and they'll be teaching it in history class. They'll be, you know, in the late 70s, there was a lot of uh, films, Roots comes to mind on this subject. This is as good as any of them. It really is. And, you know, Quentin Tarantino once said that you know, after he made Django, which is all, you know, which is was about slavery or yeah. has a slavery, you know, sort of element that there are dozens and dozens of stories uh, within slavery. Oh, yeah. Would be wonderful for films and uh, would be wonderful subjects for films and need uh, to be explored. And you young screenwriters need to get out there and maybe start conceiving of them. Or, or certainly adapt existing biographies that are out there, which which yeah. is starting to happen. You know, they, they tried to remain uh, as true to, to the subject as possible. They used actual plantations. Yeah. There's like only four or five of them that still exist in their original form. They used one of them. Um, there is a, a, a scene in the film where Solomon sees several, several slaves being lynched from a tree that tree was actually a lynching tree, and, and wow. they used the actual um, tree to, to film this. Uh, and it's surrounded by the graves of, of many murdered slaves. So um, McQueen, the director, had been toying around for years on this subject until his wife in a cutout bin found Solomon Northrup's biography, which at the time it was released, was eclipsed by all of these other great novels. Uh, Uncle Tom's Cabin comes to mind. And, but now, since this film came out, that book became a bestseller, ironically, 150 years after it was written. Wow. wow. So a lot, a lot of Amazing. cool little stories there. Yeah, there is. Well, this was, uh, again, uh, we've come to the end of ourselves here, another, another week in the book there, and uh, I really enjoyed myself again. We made a reference in the show this week, and I propose that next week's film is The Shawshank Redemption. What do you okay. think? All right, I'm fine with that. I'm fine talking about that. It's a movie I've seen, God, a hundred times. I remember the first time I saw it. So I'll enjoy talking about that. That'll be good. All, All right. right. So we're two peas in a podcast. All right. Check and us we're out. signing have, off. Yeah, have, have a, a good great, weekend. You do the same, buddy. All right, see ya. I'll bang the drum slowly and play the fife lowly. Play the dead march as they carry me along. Put bunches of roses all over my coffee. Roses to deaden the clouds as they fall.